man, I'm pretty excited about this Christmas series. Uh, one, because it's Christmas, but secondly, we're out of Song of Solomon. And so uh, it's good. All right, so um, as we prepare for this sermon series, let me kind of give you a quick overview of what we're gonna be looking at. We've called this sermon series Gift Exchange because what we wanna look at is, is not just Jesus came. Every year, we're, you know at Christmas time, we're gonna talk about the birth of Jesus. And so, but in, in light of the birth of Jesus, what does that mean for us? Like what happened when Jesus showed up on the scene? Uh, the Messiah is here and, and, and what, can, what does that mean for us? So we're gonna be looking over the next several weeks at what happens when Jesus shows up on the scene in our life, what that means for us and what, what's exchanged, what he has taken from us and then what he has given to us. And so we're gonna be looking at this over the next several weeks today. We're gonna talk about all the preparation that led up to the birth of Christ. Now, one of the things that really shocked me as an adult, as a child, all I know is I went to bed on Christmas night and on, on, on uh, Christmas Eve night and I woke up and booyah, there were presents like right there. I'm like, yes. I just thought like it happened. I just thought, man, like this is, this is there. I thought we would show up to a Christmas party as a family. And all I know is I just showed up, my family showed up and we had the party. But if now as an adult, you host that party, you know good and well, that party just doesn't happen, does it? You're cleaning baseboards that no one's gonna look at. You're shoving stuff in closet and you've locked, you turn the doorknob around to lock the door from the, so that it, like, they can't get in it. Like, you've got a key in, the, in that closet because you don't want a guest opening that thing. You, you are working. Some of you, you started buying Christmas presents like in July. Don't lie, how many of you out there like way ahead in life have issues but you started buying Christmas like in July? Don't lie, yep. Three of you are out there. Three of you, like, uh, yeah, that's some, like, there's guys like, she's done it. Right? You're completely done. You're completely done with Christmas. And we hate you. I mean, it's just like, hey, well, you're done. Like, good for you, okay? But how many of you, like, you're still, like, just, like, getting started? You have a ton of Christmas presents left to buy out there. Yeah, I know that that's you because it surely is. If we do a sign-up, like, 90% of you sign up, like, the last second. We know, like, somebody will just amen that. My first amen of the service, last second. Because that's just kind of, kind of where you're at. But here's what you know. You don't get started for Christmas. Like, you have to prepare for this thing. I mean, you've got to start cleaning. You've got to start Christmas buying. You've got to start, all this stuff has to happen. And boy, it's stressful, isn't it? I mean, you're budgeting, you're looking at Christmas presents, you're doing the math and you're like, we need a Christmas miracle. Like what, we, you've got food to do. You have all this stuff has to happen. And then you show up, you celebrate Christmas and it literally lasts like an hour and you're like, what in the world? And here's the thing, you, you spend all this time being anxious about presents and hoping your kids like it. And by January 5th, they don't even know what presents they got for Christmas anymore. A new commercial comes on and they're like, oh, I want that. For like next Christmas. And Christmas is all of this preparation that builds up to it. And then it happens really, really quick. Today, what I want us to do is we're gonna look back as you just read. And I'll tell you, by the way, I think sometimes because we don't know like our history, sometimes if we don't know the history of something, we just think that it's not relevant for today. But you don't really know like what's good about it. I love that we do our Advent time. And let me tell you why. Because I need it. I need this. I need time to stop for a minute, to, to slow down, to breathe, and to remember 
that this is all about Jesus. I need the time to reflect. We're not really good at reflecting. Anybody out there like, we're not really good at stopping and reflecting, are we? But as a, I, tell, I think we need this. Our church needs this. We need to slow down for a minute, breathe, and remember all that led up to the coming of Christ. So today, we're gonna look at, all biblically, all that happened leading up to the birth of Christ. Matter of fact, I'm gonna take you from Genesis to Jesus. And we're gonna look at all that built up to the coming of Christ. And we're gonna end in Galatians chapter four, asking ourselves, what, is, what does all of that preparation mean for you and I? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and it was good and it was very good. He made man and he made woman and he, they were in the garden, this place. It was beautiful, not perfect, and that they were still working it and worshiping and, and walking with God and things were right between God and creation and man and then Adam and Eve both sinned. Uh, Adam and Eve both sinned. God gave the command to Adam. Adam was by her side. That's why we just read this in Advent. She, she uh, takes the fruit, gives it to him. He stands beside, he eats it. And then God shows back up and it's like, well, who told you, you know, that you're naked? Who told you and what's happened? And as a result, they're punished. There's, there's cursing for disobedience. Sin always brings about death. Let me say that again. Sin always brings about death. So now as a result of, of them in the garden, God puts them outside of the garden and he gives them curses. Like this is the, the weight of that sin affects you this way. And so in the garden, he, he's reading and he's telling uh, Eve what's gonna happen. He says, look, childbearing is gonna be difficult and it's gonna be hard and you're gonna feel the effects of that. But from your seed, he's gonna crush the serpent's head. He gives him a promise. This promise that of your child, of woman, from, from woman, like she, a, a child will be born and your child will crush the serpent's head. This is important because you're gonna notice all through the Old Testament, even in the New Testament, how many times it says he was born of a woman. Reminding us back to Genesis chapter three that Jesus is fulfilling all that God's word says. So we have now Genesis three and you begin to enter in these different segments. So if you don't like history, listen to this because I, I, I think that we need to understand at least a general understanding of the Old Testament and how it leads into the Messiah. So let me give you nine eras of the Old Testament, how it breaks up leading in to the birth of Jesus. The first one is what we, what we know as the pre-patriarchal area. Uh, era. This is before uh, this is before Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. This is uh, creation and the garden. They would get kicked out of the garden immediately. They would be fruitful, multiply. They start having kids, uh, and then they would grow. And in that growth, they would try to build a tower to get to God. Immediately, what we know is the Tower of Babel. They were using their efforts and their work to try to get to heaven, to try to get to God, and, and God would separate them and destroy the, the tower. And then you have what we know, uh, the flood would occur, and then um, through that process, God would begin to, to rebuild. Then we have what we know as the patriarch era. The patriarch era is uh, starting with Abram. You see, there was no people like God's chosen people. They're not here yet. God would take Abram. He would call him out. Abram was nobody. He wouldn't pick the biggest nation, he wouldn't pick the strongest nation. He wouldn't pick the one that had the most resources. He would take somebody who is obedient. 
And he says, Abram, I want you to leave your mother and your father and I want you to leave everything you've got and I'm gonna give you a land and I'm gonna give you an inheritance. I'm gonna give you people, as many as the stars in the sky and the sand on the shores will be your descendants. So Abram, uh, would later be Abraham follows God and says, yes, he would have a son in his old age named Isaac. And God would ask him to sacrifice his one and only son, to take him to a mountain and, and to lay him out. And he obeys God in that and God stops him right before he's getting ready to sacrifice his son and provides a, uh, uh, provides a sacrifice. And it's a picture of what he's gonna do thousands of years later in Jesus. On the very same mountain, Jesus would die for you and I, an ultimate provision. Then you would have from Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob would, uh, they would grow, he would steal the birthright from his older brother and, and he would take it and then ultimately he'd have a son named Joseph and that would lead them to Egypt. And in Egypt, they would be enslaved. Uh, they would need Egypt to live through a drought, but they would ultimately stay there and they would be enslaved for hundreds of years. But here's what's interesting. While they're being enslaved uh, during those hundreds of years, the Egyptians would want them to grow prosperous in number. So they helped them multiply because it gave them more slaves to work and, and to build. And so the patriarch area would end with hundreds of years of the people, God's people in, enslaved. And then they would cry out to God for freedom and for help. So God would then move in what we know as the Exodus era, how he gets them out of that. In that time, God would send Moses. They're praying for a hero. God, get us out of this. Come and deliver us. We've prayed. And it says that their prayers made it to God's ears. He heard them and he would send somebody that would set them free. And it would be Moses. Moses would show up on the scene and let my people go. And God's people would, would enter into the wilderness again on their way to the promised land. And God would, would free them. But on the way of, of this exodus, they would sin against God. They would disobey him. They would not trust him. They'd complain, even though God's providing all these things. And they wouldn't enter into the promised land until 40 years of suffering and, and death. And then uh, God would bring Joshua. That moves into the next area, what we know as the conquest area. Era. Joshua would step into the scene. Joshua is, is the leader now after Moses, and he's gonna take them into the promised land. And God would tell Joshua, listen, you teach my people. Do not depart from me to the left or to the right. You obey my word, and I'm gonna be with you. And they would go into the promised land, and God would give them conquest and victory over that area. And their aim was that they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. God gave them this promised land. They were supposed to go into this land and God was gonna bless them. And they were supposed to show all the nations what it looked like to worship and celebrate the one true God. There was only one God and they, they were to live different than every other nation. He says, look, be careful. Don't become like the Canaanites and uh, don't become like these people. They were at that time sacrificing children. And he's like, I want you to live different and you follow me. And so during the Exodus era, God gave them the law. And he said, I want you to follow my law. So they go in, take over the land in the conquest era. Uh, but then uh, Joshua would die and that would start a new era. This is what we know as the judges era. Now, this may be, some of you have not heard of some of this. The judges era, when we think of judges, we think of like, I've gotten a speeding ticket in a, you know, in a zone and I need to get out of it. I have to go in front of a judge. All right, anybody else? You know, that's what we think, like you're reading judges. You're thinking of like somebody who sits in a courtroom. What I want you to think of judges is these leaders that God brought in to, to bring judgment over them. It's not like what we think of a judge today. You need to think more of a regional leader. So these judges would come in after Joshua died. People like Samson, Deborah, Gideon, there were 12 of them. And, and it was an evil time. 
these judges were showing, and the, the point of the text is to show that our hearts were, were wicked. We were separate from God. I mean, they were doing, instead of being different than the Canaanites, the people of God became just like the Canaanites. And, and these judges were supposed to show them, but ultimately they showed how corrupt we were. We began to worship, uh, God's people began to worship false idols and, and they were in sin. And, and so here's what they thought. You know what? We're not doing right, so we need a king. All these other kingdoms have a king. We don't have a king. God is supposed to be our king. So now you moved into this, uh, this kingdom era where they're looking for a king. So they're like, hey, we need a king because they rejected God as king. God's not enough. We need like a ruler, like in person. And so, man, Saul became a king and he would fall short. David would become a king and he would fall short. And then his son Solomon would become king and he would fall short. So much so that instead of having one kingdom, it would now be divided to a northern and a, a southern kingdom. And the northern kingdom uh, would be conquered by Assyria. You see, all the whole time, everything they thought they needed, it would always fall short. We need a hero in Moses. Moses would fall short. Oh, Joshua's going to bring us into the promised land. It's going to go great. They would disobey God, even in light of all that God had given them. Oh, we need a king. Saul's gonna do it. Nope, Saul wouldn't do it. David's gonna do it. Nope, David would fall short. Hey, Solomon, in all of his wisdom, he's gonna fix it. Nope, he wouldn't fix it. And that moves in what we call the exile era. The exile era is when in the northern and southern kingdom, the northern kingdom has been defeated. But in this era, the southern kingdom would be defeated and, and uh, Babylon would come in. And for 70 years, there's now, uh, the God's people are scattered all over the place. They're being brought to a foreign land and now they're here. He said, why is this important? Some of you are like, I'm done already. Like history, too much. Like I'm already, well, let's talk about Jesus. Like get to the baby. Like I'm ready for that part. You see, the reason this is so important is because a lot of us do not understand when we read the story of Jesus, what it meant in that time frame. You see, there is now a time in this exile era where there is no Israel, Jerusalem. God's people are scattered. Or is there any hope at all? I mean, are we even gonna exist anymore? Like, what's it gonna happen? And God would remain faithful and would keep a remnant. There's a small amount of people, and through those people, they would return, and we call this the return era. These people would come back, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Zechariah, Malachi. God, through them, would rebuild the walls and would rebuild the city, and, and God would show his faithfulness. They would return and rebuild Jerusalem, and God's people would begin to grow back. Some of you right now, you need to be reminded in this. Man, what we feel like we've lost because of sin, God can rebuild. He is faithful. He's good. We can, he can have that return. So they return back. But then this is where it gets interesting. They would rebuild the walls. People would return back. And then there would be 400 years of silence. For 400 years, we call this the silence era. It's really wisely noted here. Silence. Think about this. All of a sudden, you have, God has, has brought you back and brought the people back and now we've got walls. And, but now for 400 years, there's gonna be no prophet. There's, gonna, there's, there's nothing. We have not heard from God. How we've got our city walls back, we're building, we're growing that. Now what? We're here, we're silent, we're waiting. Let me give you a few common threads that we see all the way through this before Jesus shows up on the scene. See, some of the common threads are that our sin always leads to destruction. The story of the Old Testament is that over and over and over, God would bless, and we did worse in our blessings than we did in our cursings. Look, while they were in slavery, we're crying out for God. Deliver us, help us, we want you, we need you, save us. 
then God would give them freedom and they'd blow it. They'd mess up, they'd turn away from God. They would turn to idols. And then they would cry out for God again because they're punished. And our sin, it always leads to destruction. And ultimately they saw over and over, they tried to get to God by themselves. They tried to make it to God and they couldn't. They're trying to work to God, they're trying to get there. We've always, we've always needed his saving. So the Old Testament is showing how much we need him. And so in the chaos of all this, anybody ever tried to fix your problem or fix your solutions and make it worse? This is the Old Testament. We're gonna fix this. We need kings, we got people, we, we can make this, we can fix it, we can, we can solve it, we can make it right. And it doesn't work, it makes it a bigger mess. And then we get to Galatians chapter four. Galatians chapter four, starting in verse four, you're gonna read what happens in the midst of this silence, in the midst of this not hearing from God, he would say this, when the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Will you, will you pray with me? Lord, this morning, I pray that you would teach all of us how much we need you, but then I pray that you would teach us in all the preparation, all the pressure, all the sin, all the things that were leading up to your, your entry into this world, you coming for us. Lord, teach us now what we can exchange and, and receive from you, what this means for who we are today. Lord, thank you in your perfect time. It came to completion, all of the word, all the promises, it came to fruition. Lord, now would you open the minds of our heart that we would enjoy the greatest gift exchange that there's ever been. It's in your name we pray, amen. 400 years of silence and then God's perfect completed time a star would appear, the Messiah is present, Jesus is here. What I want us to look at today is how this exchange, what happens now that Christ is here, what we receive from him and what we give him. It, he says here in Galatians that uh, the law, he was born under the law, he was born into the law. This perfect time, God sent a son, born of a woman, born under the law. The law is, uh, according to scriptures, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It's known as the Torah, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. In the Bible times, if you were a Hebrew boy, uh, you would be taught to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Let me say that again. You would grow up memorizing Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you're just wondering what that was like, listen, just to really like reading this afternoon when you go home, just go read Leviticus, okay? Just go check Leviticus out and understand what this really means. Go read it, you'll get. Man, this was not an easy thing. They valued their history. Over and over and over, God would instruct them to remember what God did. He, he's bringing them into the promised land. He says, take 12 stones and set them up that you would remember what I've done here. We forget, don't we? Often we just remember what's going on in our life, our little bubble. So when we come to Christmas time, it's what's happening in my world that makes Christmas Christmas. But you wanna know what makes Christmas Christmas? The thousands of years that have led up to where we are today. Who Jesus is, what God has done. He has been faithful, he's been good. And so Jesus, it says, is born into the law. You see, God had a, a covenant people. A covenant is a heavenly promise based off God's character, not ours. Uh, a contract would be, 
I uphold my end of the bargain, you uphold your end of the bargain. A covenant is God will always uphold his end of the bargain, we'll never uphold ours. If, if it was based off our ability to uphold our end, the whole Old Testament, this would have all ended. The Old Testament is pictures of how bad we fell our end, but how faithful God is. Even in destroying the city, God brought it back, kept a remnant, God was faithful. So God had this covenant people, and they, like everyone else, they would break the covenant. Uh, they would break kind of the rules, they would, they would mess up. Now, in order for this to be right, or restored, or fixed, they would, God gave them a way that that relationship could be restored or fixed. They would sacrifice an animal based off what the sin was and what was happening. God gave them a way, whether it was bird, there were some ways that it was, they were sacrificing a, a, a perfect lamb, their goat, there are all these different ways. And every year, high priests would go into where the presence of God was and would sprinkle the blood of one of those animals as a payment. Can you imagine the weight of that law? I mean, you're being raised, you're knowing, you're, you're reading and studying these guidelines and these rules and these ways that you're called to live, knowing that you can't keep it. You can't keep up with that. You're never gonna meet that law, that standard. And, and as a result, for your relationship with God to be right, animals, there had to be bloodshed, there had to be death so that you could have life. They would feel, they would grow up understanding the weight of the law, the pressure of the law and an animal will be sacrificed for it. And now Jesus shows up on the scene. The Messiah, the King, the Son of God is coming to be that perfect sacrifice. That his blood would be shed to fulfill the law. So look with me in Galatians 4 as we think about what's happening. What I want you to see in Galatians chapter 4 is that the entire Old Testament is looking forward. The whole Old Testament is looking forward to the day that Jesus is going to show up on the scene that he's gonna return things how they should be. Now they're thinking, man, he's gonna make like, we're gonna be an amazing kingdom. We're gonna take over, we're gonna conquer the world. We're gonna kick butt, take names, like he's gonna be amazing. And God's like, no, you've missed it. I'm not doing that, I'm, I'm saving you. I'm restoring your heart. I'm creating a new people that sin has is affected and broken. I'm gonna make a people for myself. So Jesus shows up on the scene. Now here we are today, thousands of years later, and we live looking back to what Jesus has done and looking forward to his return, keeping our eyes on him. So I wanna give you one main thought today. One main thought, and we're just gonna flesh it out in a few ways today. Here's your main thought, is that for us, this great exchange, it is to give God your crown and he will give you his peace. Give God your crown and he will give you his peace. The Old Testament is full of people trying to make their kingdom their nation, their people, they're trying to be strong. They're making their own way. We're gonna make a Tower of Babel. We're gonna get freed. We're gonna make a nation. We're gonna be strong. And over and over and over, when we try to wear the crown of our life, when we try to be king of our life, we fall radically short. Hey, some of you right now, this is exactly what you've said. You've probably told your parents this sometime in your life, and some of you are still thinking this way. I'm gonna do it my way or the highway. It is my way, good, bad, or ugly. I'm gonna do my thing. I'm not gonna accept a handout. I don't want anybody to help me. I'm gonna do my thing, my way, and that's just how it's gonna be. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to man, and in the end, it leads to destruction. See, we're not made. God did not create us to wear the crown. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. God did not create you and I to carry the weight 
of trying to save ourselves and redeem ourselves and to create a people. That's not how God made us to be. Look at the text with me, how we see that he calls us to, to trust in him. He says that he was born of a woman under the law, verse five. Why? To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Let me give you two thoughts as we think about giving God our crown, exchanging uh, exchanging our crown, us being the king of our life, us being the Lord of our life, giving that king and that crown to him and us receiving his peace. So let me give you maybe two thoughts from, uh, from Galatians on that. Number one is that there's peace and freedom. There's peace and freedom. Look what he says I've come to do. I've come to redeem you from the law. He was born into the law so that he could buy us from it. He said, I see your weight. I see what the weight of the law does. The weight of the law is not here to, to make you righteous. It's to show us how much you need a redeemer. The law was never that you could, you could fit. Some of you are like, oh, we got 10 commandments? Well, then I'm gonna follow all 10. Matter of fact, not only am I gonna follow all 10, I'm gonna add a few hundred more because I'm that good. And the point, it, Jesus said, if you've broken one commandment, you've broken, you've broken every one of them. Oh, I did really good following like 999 rules. Good for you. That one that you messed up, it made them all mess up. The weight of that, the weight of the law, it meant it was to push us to God for how much we needed to be rescued, how much we needed uh, to be saved. And he says, I've come to, to redeem you from that, to buy you out from the law. The laws to show us that we could never meet God's standard on our own. So what we celebrate at Christmas is that he came for us. He saw the weight of the law. He saw that we couldn't redeem ourselves. We couldn't fix ourselves. We couldn't save ourselves. And that the weight of us trying to be kings of our own lives, it crushes us. And instead he says, man, I've got peace. The word peace is, is interesting. I, it's one of my favorite probably words in the Bible. I love it because the word peace is shalom. Other than it sounding really cool, shalom, it's not like when we think of like peace, like Israel would pray for peace. Most of us think, Israel surrounded by enemies. All around them, there's enemies and they're like trying to attack them, pray for peace. Most of us think peace is the absence of conflict. And some of you like, that's what you're praying right now. God and my family, I just want peace. Just one day, Jesus, I just want my kids to not fight one day. Some of your parents are like, <laughs> preach it. I got, for you, the idea of peace is absence of conflict. But that's not what shalom means. Shalom is not the absence of conflict. Shalom's the idea that what is broken is being restored. That shalom is that what sin tried to mess up in Genesis chapter three, how sin impacted the relationship between God and man, how sin impacted our ability to walk with God, to enjoy God, to live in the cooler garden with God, like how sin tried to wreck that. It cursed the ground, it cursed men, it cursed women. It, sin broke everything. Oh, but Jesus came, he brought peace. Where there was war between our sin and, and what's happening in the world, he says, no, no, there's peace. I brought shalom, I'm restoring that, I'm fixing it. I think about how many times as a child I broke something in my house. It was often, if you know me. And my little girl's just like it now. I mean, it's like daily, something's shattering. I learned really well how to use certain types of, of glue there are things right now that are in my parents' houses that are broken that they don't know. <laughs> We're put back together with really some time and some glue. You could, you could take that which is broken and put it back together and, and sometimes it'd actually be stronger 
when you glued it, like I think, I think man, things fallen a few times since then. It ain't breaking now, boy, because it was put together right. This is the picture of peace. See, when we turn in our crown, peace is not God saying, hey, I'm gonna, you're not gonna have any conflict anymore. Peace is, hey, where our relationship was not able to happen because of sin, I've dealt with that now, and now I've brought peace there. So we are good, and I'm with you, and we are right. And so when he says, hey, I'm, I'm giving you peace, I want there to be peace on earth. He's saying, I, I want there to be God and man. We wanna be right. I wanna be able to know God. We wanna be able to be his children. We want there to be peace. You see, we are not good enough on our own. And some of you trying to forge your own way, trying to make your own way. There's some men right now. You're like, I'm going to fix my family. I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fight for my family. We're going to make it happen. We can't make it happen. Jesus made it happen for us. He came to bring peace. He came to bring restoration. What we need more than anything is not for us to make it happen. We have to fall on our knees and pray that the gospel can work in our lives and in our families. And through Jesus, peace can come to fruition. You see, some of you this Christmas, there's an absence of peace. Not only that there's more conflict, maybe in your family and there's conflict in your home, there's conflict in other areas, but there's an absence of peace that flows from the freedom that you've received in Jesus. I mean, just imagine Galatians 5, 1 says it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, stand firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. The weight of the law, it was this, these chains that were holding us down where we couldn't freely enjoy God and be right with him. We, we, we did, the people were doing their best, but now in Jesus, there's a freedom. Our chains are gone, the song sings. I love those types of songs because this is what Jesus showing up on the scene did. He kicked the enmity out of the way and said there will be victory now and now you can have peace and freedom. Looking for peace this Christmas? It's found when you have redemption in Jesus Christ, when he's redeemed you. All that you've ever tried to make things right, Jesus says, I bought you from that. I'm gonna make you right. I'm the one that brings peace between God and man. The wrath of God that's pointed at all of us, all the guilt that Satan throws at you now, it's no longer in Jesus. Man, that guilt is gone. That shame is gone. The enmity, the wrath pointed at us because of our sin, it is gone in Jesus Christ. You see, there is peace and freedom. Man, do you enjoy this Christmas season, the freedom that you have now because of the baby that showed up? Oh, we turned in our crown. And we've received the peace of God and there's peace because there's freedom. But secondly, you see, there's not only peace and freedom, but there's peace and sonship. There's peace and sonship. Look how the text now moves from redemption to adoption. To redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You know why he redeemed us? He did not redeem you so you could like just walk around in freedom like, oh, I'm good now. Woo, thank you. Think he doesn't just say, oh, you're free now. Go do your thing. Hey, you're free now, just go live life. And you're just like, woo, freedom. That is not the gospel. The gospel is very different. He says, not only will I free you, I will make you mine. I, where I was creating a chosen people, you're now my people. You are now sons and daughters of the king. I, in, uh, in first service, uh, the kids came and sang. And uh, so that was kind of like the, let's work out the kinks and let's let them, they were singing and, uh, and it was really, really good. And so the kids were singing, but my son, he is not like, I want to be the center of attention. That's just not Luke. 
Uh, he does not want to stand. Now, my daughter, she might break it down for you, okay? She, she, she's out there like breaking it out and she's hitting everything and she's, she's probably a little more okay with that. But Luke, man, I, I'll probably break out a video clip for you guys next Sunday so you can see. He, that lip, it was all the way out. It wasn't just, I don't want to sing. It's like, I'm angry that people are looking at me. I just don't want that. And so, but here's what, when I'm sitting there and I'm videotaping, I'm just smiling and I'm happy one because to me, I was, the fact that he even came up on the stage was like Merry Christmas. I mean, I was so happy. Now, second service, that joker was singing. I was like, yes. But here's the deal. You ready? And this is kind of thinking back to this message in Sonship. I did not care if Luke sang or not. I did not care. I, it did not matter. You know what he was gonna get when he stepped off this stage? Man, I love you. Man, I'm proud of you, son. Great job. You know, that's the difference between a child's perspective and a parent's perspective. See, as a child, I thought I need to perform well so that I will make my parents proud. I need to play good at sports. I need to do good grades. I need to perform at a certain level of expectation so that my parents will be proud of me and they'll be happy with me. But now as a parent, what I understand is that I do not care how my kids perform. That is my son and that is my daughter and I will always love them, no matter how they perform. I don't care if they make you proud, they're mine. They will always be mine. So I don't need you to perform at a level. I don't need you to do certain things to make certain people happy. I don't need that. Luke, you be you. Say to you be you because you will always be mine. And as much as I love my kids, it's just not a drop in the bucket for how much God loves me. And he looks at me and he says, I don't need you to perform. I don't need you to make your own way. You you're my son, you're my daughter. I sent my son to give you freedom and in that freedom now, you've been redeemed, you've been purchased. You now, he says, because you are my son, I love this, he attaches two promises to this. He says, I've come so that you might have be adopted, that you might be adopted into the family and as a result, he says, some things are gonna happen. Here's what's gonna happen. He says, first of all, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts. So one thing, I know that I'm his son because the spirit of God is with me. He doesn't just say, I'm gonna redeem you and then leave you on your own. He says, I'm gonna redeem you and then I'm gonna be in you and with you forevermore. There's nowhere you'll go that I won't go. There's no fight you'll have that I won't fight with you. There's no stress, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. None of those things you'll ever have where I'm not in you to say, you are my son, you are my daughter, we are together. The spirit of God is in us. So he says, I didn't only come into the world that you would give me your crown, you'd have my peace. I'm in you, I'm with you. And so there's peace and freedom and there's peace and sonship. One, because of his presence, but secondly, because, well, look how he blesses. He says, not only this spirit comes in you and the spirit, he says, it comes in you, what, that you would cry, Abba, Father. Abba's a, a word that we don't always have a really great correlation in English for. Uh, so there's some words in the Bible that, we don't really have a good English word to make it. Most people try to say, you know, this like daddy God. Uh, and it, it is kind of saying that, but it, it's saying, look, you've now been adopted and that makes him father, it makes him personal, it makes him sovereign, it makes him your Abba father, your, your God, he's yours and you are his. And the spirit of God in us 
makes us be able to cry out, you are my daddy God. You are my Abba Father. You are, I am yours and you are mine. We have this relationship. You see, it says his blessing. There's peace in sonship. So when we traded in our crown, when we gave him and we made him the Lord of our life, when we made him the king of our life, we traded that in and we accepted the gift of Jesus in our life. Man, we've been adopted. We're called his and we're freed from the weight of the law now. Now we get to worship and, and now we don't have to keep it. It was kept in Jesus, but now we want to keep it. We don't have to give. We now want to give. We don't have to do, I, when people tell me this, I, I correct it almost every time I can. And I know you probably think, oh, being a preacher. When people say something like this, I, I have to go to church. I'm like, no, you don't. You really don't. Some of you are watching online right now. We love you. And, and you don't have to go. We get to go. We get to be a part of the family of God. You know why we get to be a part of the family of God? Because Jesus came for us. He offered that. He offered that freedom and that peace to be a part of the people of God, to celebrate that he came for us. So this Christmas, when we are thinking about all that we have in Jesus and we're in the hustle and bustle and the craziness, let me ask you this. Have you traded in your crown for his peace? Man, are you a son or daughter of the king? So let me ask you, one, if you haven't, man, will you turn your crown in? Man, stop trying to make your own way. That is not the gospel. That's religion. You're not good because you're here. We're good because he came. We're good because he is in us. Man, will you give him your crown? Will you receive his peace? Some of you today as sons and daughters of the king are still believing that you're good because of your goodness sake. Oh, we have been made good because of what God did for us. And so today, maybe some of you, you need to receive that peace. You're working, you're trying to do all these things for Jesus and Jesus is like, I, I don't need that. I've already done it for you. So no, don't work for me anymore. Worship me, enjoy me and let my peace set you free. You see, this Christmas, I want us to see the whole story. Jesus came to be our ultimate sacrifice. He came to exchange our wretched state for his glory. He came to exchange our kingdom so that we could have his. He came to exchange the weight of the law for the peace of Christ. Do you have that peace that passes all understanding? Jesus, today I'm thankful for your amazing grace. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for forgiveness and redemption that's found in you. And, and this year as we celebrate Jesus, as we remember the time that you came for us. Lord, thank you that we can exchange our crown and receive true peace. Lord, a peace that passes all understanding. Thank you that joy came to this world in you. Lord, I know in this room and many maybe that are watching online, neighbors and friends, I know that there are so many that are still holding on to their crown, trying to live their life their way and do their own thing. And sometimes we just try to fit you into our life. But God, that makes us king. And Jesus, I pray this Christmas season that many will see you and give up their crown to give up their life, to give up what they're trying to hold on to and to fully surrender their life to you. And as a result, in exchange for that, that crown, they would make you king of their life. Lord, we're just not meant to carry that. We can't. But God, as a result, would we receive an ultimate peace that passes all understanding. Lord, we love you. 
We need you. We ask for your work in this. Keep working this in us. We ask in your holy name.